Resentment. It is a very powerful and very ugly human emotion. It's usually born of anger or bitterness or a feeling of helplessness, frustration, jealousy, or humiliation. We see it displayed in its full fury in our society today. And frequently we see it in the marketplace of public discourse. Sadly, we see groups and individuals resent each other and attribute to each other motives that are beneath the expectations that most of us have in a decent society. And just in case you think that things were somehow different in our times than in the times of Jesus, we see resentment portrayed in all of its unseemly glory in the gospel that we have today. Now the teachings of Jesus are timeless. They never seem to go out of date. This is because Jesus taught in principles in general rules that were applicable to many, many situations. That is the quality that makes his parables and teachings and examples so wonderful and so useful to us in our time. How ironic then it is that this is also the quality and characteristic that sometimes makes these teachings and parables so difficult for us to understand and interpret. Such is the nature of the story from Matthew's Gospel that we heard today. In most recent readings we have had in the last several weeks from Matthew have shown Jesus taking the offensive and condemning the hypocrisy of the ruling classes and the religious elites of ancient Israel. But today we see those parties trying to strike back and put Jesus on the defensive. The Pharisees that ultra-religious and conservative literalist group of their time, and the Herodians, the followers of King Herod of Galilee, were normally the bitterest and most resentful of enemies. The first, that is the Pharisees, hated and resented the rule of the Romans and considered them intruding on the rule of God in the land of Israel. The second group, the Herodians, owed their power and authority to Rome. But it was the Roman authorities who had installed King Herod and who kept him in power. The Herodians resisted the condemnation of the Pharisees and doubtless resented their self-righteousness and piousness. These two groups truly resented and hated each other. But there was one thing that united them. They both resented and hated Jesus. Jesus, that teller of truth, the revealer of the nature of God, because Jesus held them both in the bad light they so richly deserved. Jesus was a threat to their power and their influence among the people. And they joined together to try to remove him and preserve the status quo, which was so much to their benefit. And so these two enemies joined together to set a trap for Jesus. After a little insincere flattery, they posed this question to Jesus. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now this matter of tax paying was a serious question in the time of Jesus. The Pharisees bitterly resented paying taxes to Rome 
because they considered it an infringement on the divine right of God to rule Israel. In addition, there was a temple tax, and all Jewish men were required to pay. And then, as now, some people harbored a resentment of paying any kind of tax. If Jesus says it is right to pay the tax to Rome, then the Pharisees would condemn Jesus as insulting God. They believed in theocracy, that only God ruled Israel. To pay a tax to a foreign ruler was to acknowledge his authority over the country, and there was therefore an insult to God. Surely this would turn the people against Jesus, and his statue would be greatly diminished. If on the other hand, Jesus said it was unlawful to pay taxes to Rome, the Herodians would immediately turn Jesus over to the Romans. And the revolution they would brand him as a revolutionary attempting to overthrow the rule of Rome. And that, of course, would be the end of Jesus, or so they thought. Then Jesus, with the brilliance that reflected his divinity, gave his famous and confounding answer. He called for a coin which had Caesar's likeness stamped onto it. And he said, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. But what does this statement really mean? The first clause of the first part indicates that taxes should be paid since the image of Caesar is on the coin, and it falls to the things that belong to Caesar. The second part of the answer, however, causes us to ask the question as to what belongs to whom. It's difficult to imagine that Jesus would see much of anything falling outside the things that are God's. Certainly Jesus knew, as did all those who heard his famous exchange, the meaning of Psalm 24, which says in part, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it the world, and all those who live in it. Thus, in one motion, Jesus concedes the payment of the tax, but subverts the reach of the emperor. In one sense, Jesus affirms the civic duty of Christians to obey civil authority. Yet, if read carefully, Jesus more strongly affirms the all-encompassing reach of God's ownership and its way, in a way that imperils imperils the rule of the Romans and calls it into question. The message of Jesus is both clear and difficult. We owe our allegiance to God without question. We must give Him our wholehearted loyalty. But this must be done while navigating through a complicated world in which we have civic responsibility in a world in which there are many forces competing for our allegiance. To make things even more difficult, we live in a time in which resentments of all sorts are frequently out in the open and in the political and economic life of our nation. But imagine a world in which Christians took no part or no responsibility in the public arena. What a calamitous and terrible place that would be if everything was left to the selfish and the self-seeking and the cynical people of the land with all their resentments and greed. Yet we must be on guard for ourselves. 
and the trap that is represented by our own resentments. In exercising our civic duties and responsibilities, we cannot, like the Pharisees, allow our own resentments and self-seeking to come to the fore. We must be on guard for the tendency towards self-righteousness when we are passionate about a cause or a position of a public issue. Likewise, we must not use civic authority, like the Herodians, to hold our place of privilege and power in the society to the detriment of others. Navigating this course is not an easy thing. It may well be, if we are very lucky, our heavenly citizenship and our earthly responsibilities will never come into conflict. But that seems very unlikely. Where the boundaries are set between these two sets of duties may be, Jesus does not say. That is for each person's conscience to determine. But through the love of Jesus, the true Christian will fail neither his duty to God nor his duty to society. The true Christian will be guided by the teachings and wisdom of the Scriptures, by his or her own mind and God-given reason, and by the traditions handed down to us by generations of Christians who have gone before. The true Christian will use these teachings in a way to overcome his or her own resentments, whatever those may be. And here's the good news. And remember, the gospel is always good news. The good news is that trust and faith in Jesus, in His love and compassion and mercy, provides us with an unfailing path to overcome all obstacles, no matter how dark this crazy world may appear to be. Pray for the discernment that comes only from God through His beloved Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen.